and uh, hopefully you brought your Bibles and um, you have your lesson notes in front of you as well. We're still in trimester one. We're at lesson six, um, calling and separation. We're going to talk a little bit tonight, calling and separation. And uh, again, every lesson I think is an important lesson. And we're going to talk a little bit about how God may put a, a promise uh, or a plan in your heart, uh, but it may, may take a little time before the door is open and that comes to pass in your life. In fact, because of this lesson, and uh, Trace had mentioned some things to me, and I'll talk more about that this Sunday, we're going to really expand on that. If you've never heard, if you've never heard my instruction on God's view of time, you got to come this Sunday. If you've never heard on God's view of time, I'm going to take a little time. And, and we're going to talk about how God sees things and about how we see things. And I think it'll really help bring peace to your life if, if you get God's eyes. But this sort of opens the door to that. So um, it kind of got my heart stirred in that direction. But calling and separation. If you have your Bibles and you want to open it up, 2 Timothy 1. 2 Timothy 1. Um, we're going to begin reading with verse number 8, and then I, I'm going to read, believe it or not, Romans 1.1. <laughs> Can you preach from Romans 1.1? You will find out. 2 Timothy, though, 1.8, it says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel. Isn't that a cool verse? Share with me in the sufferings of the gospel. If you think that Serving God doesn't have a component of suffering in it. You've not read your Bible very far. There is a suffering for righteousness sake. Um, I believe in God's favor. I believe in favorable seasons. I'm grateful for the times he does those things and causes life to be extremely, extremely good and pleasant and peaceful. But there are moments when you do what is right and you're living all out for him and it can be challenging. And he says, share with me in the sufferings of the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. Now, you understand that's not just pastor, right? You know why it says this? It's he's writing to Timothy, but he says, you know, us. He's talking to the church too. Saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Oh, those are great verses too. Verse 10, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. And so here Paul begins to enumerate those things that he's been called to do. And, and let's just review it again. It says that he was appointed a preacher, a, a declarer, a proclaimer. He says that there's, there's also an apostolic component to it, as well as a teaching aspect of it. And so he, he clearly enumerates those things which he is called to do. Now, I want you to take just a moment. Now, you may not be called into the professional, just for lack of a better term. So I'm, I'm going to use some imprecision here, so just bear with me. But for lack of a better term, you know, you may not be called to professional-type clergy ministry. However, you do know we all have a ministry. I mean, God's called us to the ministry, but, but not everybody's called to be a, a, a lead pastor or a senior pastor or maybe even a full-time pastor or a supported pastor. But everybody has a ministry of some sort. In fact, calling actually, as I'll mention here in just a moment, has to deal with really vocation. And it was really the heart of God that, that you just don't do a job, but that you understand your job is within the will of God and the purposes of God, and it has a kingdom purpose within that job. And you know what? If you can get up and, and maybe you're not working at a church or working in a ministry somewhere and being supported or paid for, but wouldn't it be, I, I would think, a, a very purposeful thing to arise in the morning and say, I'm going to Walmart and I get to proclaim the kingdom while I'm here. And, and that very much can be a calling. And Paul just enumerates what he was called to do. And I want you just to consider for a moment what it is that God may be appointing and calling you to do. Now again, it doesn't mean you have to be me. It doesn't mean you have to be Trace. It doesn't mean you have to be Benny Hinn. It doesn't mean you have to be somebody you've seen on television. You don't have to be Beth Moore. You don't have to be Billy Hunt. You don't have to be, 
you know, somebody that you see in great places of visibility, but, but God calls people and appoints people. Now, having said that, let me go now to Romans 1.1. Paul now, he says, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. And again, he says, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. Called and separated. Let's talk about that. A call is a difficult thing to describe. Um, if I were to take the time to tell you about how I felt like God called me, um, my story has to deal with a dream and a confirmation by giving some other folks a dream and us running into each other. And it, and it was a very dramatic, uh, uh, once-in-a-lifetime, definitive, stake-in-the-ground kind of happening that uh, I, I, I personally needed and I think God knew that I would need. Because there have been numerous occasions in the 32 plus years that I have served the Lord that I'm going to be honest with you. There were moments I wanted to throw in the towel. Now, now maybe you've never felt that way and we'll cast that lion spirit out of you. Cause I'm telling you, there are moments, there are moments you say to yourself, why in the world, if serving God gets me in this kind of fix, why, you know, why in the world would anybody want to do this? And so there've been those moments in my life too. But, but when you know God's talked to you about something, is it not true? And some of you can identify with this. You go back to a moment where you may doubt everything else, but you can't doubt that moment. You, can, you can't doubt that moment that, that God got a hold of you and, and it was just something that happened. And it's a forever, once-in-a-lifetime, definable thing that's a call. And that's a wonderful thing when it can happen in your life. Now, some folks may not have uh, as dramatic and experience. They may feel an ever-growing awareness of a call of God. That doesn't diminish his call. Just because our experiences are different does not diminish his work in our life. It's always great to have the real high-impact story, though, isn't it? I mean, that's the cool one to share, have a high-impact story. And, and when you have a story that just seems like, well, you know, I just, I just came into this. I felt like God spoke to me. I remember the place maybe that we kind of settled it, but it's not nearly as dramatic. I, I understand that there are times the enemy uses that to try to convince you that it's not as significant, but I just want to break that lie as well, that, that God's call can come in any one of a number of ways. And truth of the matter is it's, it's usually a very subjective, personal thing. You know, I'm of the disposition in nature that I like things to be objective I, I really do. I, I like to teach God's word. I like it when it's objective. I mean, you can read it in there and it says, you know, thou shalt not. I get that. It says, do this. I get that. I like that. Very objective. But, but the truth is there's a subjective aspect to serving God. That doesn't mean that his, his, his precepts are subjective. It just means that not everything in life is codified by what it says in the word of God. I mean, I don't know where you work, but you may have got two job offers sometime in your life. And nowhere does it say in there, uh, thou shalt work at Walmart and not Target. Doesn't say that. So how do you know what to do? Well, there's a subjective aspect of serving God that he somehow speaks to your heart and leads you or guides you to what it is his will may be. Well, a call falls into that, I believe, subjective category. And um, it's when God and you just get alone and he begins to deal with you. Now, the word calling uh, really comes from the legal field. The Holy Spirit used a legal term in those days in order to try to communicate this. And it literally means to summons. If you know what a legal summons is, it's when somebody, a process server comes to your door, he knocks at your door and he hands you a summons, which usually says you've got to come and appear in court. Some of us get jury summons where we're told we need to show up at a, at a courtroom in order to participate in the judicial system. That's a summons. And, and truth is, you can't ignore a summons from a judge, right? Now, you can try to ignore a summons from the judge, but it ain't going to work any better. When God calls, he's summonsing you. And so it's not just a good idea. It's not just a suggestion. Uh, it's not something your Aunt Bessie thought you ought to try out. It's not something your, your four best friends got together and you brainstormed and decided you were going to try. I mean, a call is when God breaks through. And, and, and I'm not saying he can't use Aunt Bessie. I'm just saying that 
you've you got to be sure it's not Aunt Bessie and it's the voice of the Lord. God speaks to you. And you accept it and you yield to it. You may like it. You may be excited by it. I've often said, and I said this for years, when God got me, I was ignorant. I mean, I hadn't been saved that long. I mean, I, I was about 18 years old and I'd not really had much experience in church life. Um, my family was not in the ministry. I didn't know what it looked like behind the veil. And so when God got me, I was happy as a clam. I said, oh yeah, I'll preach for you. I'm not very good at it, but I I'll do it. I, I will. I will respond to you. And there really wasn't this great big struggle. If I would have known what I was getting into, I would have fought with God a whole lot more over that thing. In fact, I went to school and I remember listening to all the friends that I, I began to have preacher friends and they would tell their testimonies. Oh, I struggled with this call. I didn't want to do it, but I was miserable. I couldn't sleep at night. I couldn't eat. And I'm going, I don't know what you're talking about. I went to McDonald's right afterwards. I thought it was great. But you see, they knew what they were getting into. See, I didn't know what I was getting into. Sometimes that's, that's God who does that on purpose. You know, there's those compound names of God. Have you all heard the Jehovah Sid Canoe, Jehovah Mukadesh, Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah Shama, Jehovah Rapha? I call him Jehovah Sneaky when he gets you like that. I mean, he just gets you. And literally, it wasn't too many years ago when it was an exceptionally challenging moment that, uh, that, that I remember it was like I had to yield again to the call of God. And I remember looking at Tracy and saying to her, you know, for the first time in my life, I understand what all of those friends were telling me in those early days about their struggle because this is the first time that God's talked to me about something and I'm really saying, I don't know that I want to do that. And your will literally gets in the way. But you're going to be miserable if you don't say yes to God. It is always better to say yes to God than to say, I just want to do it my way. We always think we're going to be happier doing our own way, and it just doesn't work. That's calling. Calling. An unshakable awareness of what you're to do or to be or to what perhaps the purposes of God are in your life. And I put down here a lot of times it tends to be vocational and it demands. I believe people are called to the medical field. People are called maybe to the legal field. People are called into business. People are, I believe there are callings for these things. Very much so. Now, let's get to the word separated. Separated means to move from something to something. Now, this is a process of you becoming what it is you are called to do. I may have been called to preach at age 18, but God helped the people I was loosed on. You, you, you understand, you may be called to be a medical doctor, but don't operate on me the day after your call. Go to medical school, understand what you're doing, then come see me. You, you see, you just don't, may, you may sign up one day, but signing up doesn't automatically mean you're ready to be loosed for that. So you sign up for what it is that God's speaking to you about, but there's, there's a process that you go through in order for that something you signed up for to become a reality or a manifested happening in your life. And the key is there can be years between a call and a separation under that call. Now, again, I'm going to pick up on this theme Sunday, and, and, I, and I can almost assure you that you're going to walk out of here and, and you're going to have revelation. And, and suddenly your life and your future are going to make a whole lot of sense. You see, we think God operates like a microwave. That's how we are in America. Obviously, God's an American, right? Sure he is. He's probably more like an American than he would be, you know, Chinese or Russian or, you know, he couldn't be, he, you know, he couldn't be a communist God. I mean, we know that. So he's got to be an American God because, all right. So I, I think you get my point. In America, things are quick, fast, hurry up, express lane. That's how we want. And we think that God is somehow forced to work within the confines of our culture. No, no, he's king. He does not capitulate to our culture. That, that's part of my personal frustration is when I listen to people oftentimes say that you've got to somehow yield to the culture to reach the culture. And, and, and I understand they're wanting to be relevant and there is a place for relevancy and you just can't alienate people and you've got to reach people. But there comes a moment people got to understand God ain't on our time schedule. God's not on our clock. God doesn't have to do it like we think he ought to do it. He doesn't have to stoop down and go, oh, I forgot you're American, so I got to do it this way. 
forgive me. I forgot. You know, God doesn't do this. God is more like an oven. He bakes things until they're ready to come out. Paul was called to be an apostle, yet it took about 14 years to be separated under that ministry. See, we never understand that, do we? Because we're reading along in the Bible and we're in chapter 3 or chapter 4 and then we turn the page and get to chapter 5 and we think it's next week, don't we? Sure, chapter 4 to chapter 5 is just a week. When in reality, there can be years between chapter 4 and chapter 5. We don't understand that. We think Paul got knocked off his horse, spent a couple days at Ananias' house, you know, you know, got the, uh, got the special, uh, uh, you know, the special DVD set. You know, every, everything you need to know about Christianity. Oh, no, he got the Christianity for Dummies book. That's what he got. And, 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 and you know, in a week or so, he's ready to roll. Do you understand? 14 years. Now, can I tell you why God would take 14 years? Because he has to weed some things out. Remember? Joseph was called to rule in Egypt. Yet it took two decades to be separated unto that rulership. He didn't go to Potiphar's house a week later. He was solicited by Potiphar's wife, got thrown into jail, spent about two weeks there, and then he was called upon to go rule in Egypt. That's not how it worked. David was called to be king in Israel, and yet it took over 30 years to be separated under that ministry. Can you imagine that? The time that God uses between, between sending uh, Samuel to speak to the house of Jesse and finding David to the moment... He goes into Jerusalem and he becomes king. We're talking decades. Moses was called to be a deliverer, yet it took 40 years to be separated in, in a wilderness in order to be prepared to do that. And so until we grasp calling and separation, life in the kingdom will forever be frustrating. See, right now, some of you, you, you have aspirations to something. Now, of course, we're dealing with uh, Christian maturity and church leadership here, but you can have aspirations in all sorts of areas of life. It doesn't have to be confined to here, but you may have great aspirations, but, but you've got to understand that if God has promised you that he is good to his promise, but there's a separation period where you're going to be prepared, not only probably in the natural, but probably spiritually as well. In fact, I know you will be in order that you can access that calling. I've said this before. Most people don't have 20 years of experience. They have two years of the same experience 10 times. And there's a difference. Even, even in the work world, you'll read resumes and, and you'll find people who have two years of experience, 10 different jobs, and they'll come and say, I have 20 years in this field. And oftentimes that's not true. They've had about two years in this field. They just relive the same two years over and over and over again. And, and, and so it is in the kingdom. A Christian may have been in the church for 20 years, but truth of the matter is, like the, Paul said to the Corinthians, he said, he said I, I should speak to you as spiritual, but you are yet carnal. You should be on the meat of the word, but I'm still giving you the milk. Corinth had been around a long time, and, and, and yet they were still babies. And so, so we've got to grab a hold of the fact that God's going to grow us up in order to get us into what he's called us to. Now, the scripture tells us that God calls according to his purpose. His purpose. I'm going to have to move rapidly. 1 Corinthians 12, 18, the scripture tells us that it is God who sets, everyone say sets, sets the members of the body. So God's setting some things in the body. Since it's his ministry, it's his choice as to how setting takes place. And so we have to rest in what God has designed us to do and be. If you do not rest, what happens is striving enters into the picture. If you believe that God sets things and you trust God, then you've got to trust God that he will set you in the place that you were designed to be, even in the life of his body. I've watched people strive for things through the years, and that's not the heart of God. He will manifest his purposes and you'll begin to see that he can get you where he wants you to be. Again, we're going to talk about this. It's going to be great on the weekend. But we get frustrated at people, and we'll even get mad at God and not realize that we're in a time period where he's trying to do something inside of us. Now, let me give you some reasons here. I'm going to go down here. Not to be in, in leadership or in, in, in the ministry. I'm just, I'm just going to give you some reasons, see if I can run you off, all right? 
Number one, just a need for position or visibility. People, people want to be seen. They like to be up front. Let, don't, don't, don't do that for this. Sometimes people want it because it helps their sense of esteem or self-worth. They feel good about themselves. They're somebody because, because they have a position or a title or, or, or they're defined as, as a person of, of leadership quality. Don't, don't do it for that. Sometimes people get a personal prophecy. Uh, a personal prophecy has to be confirmed, and there's a lot of issues that come with it, but that's not a reason to be in the ministry. Don't be in it because it looks easy. God, that must be fun. It must be fun to be a leader. It must be fun to be a pastor. Yeah, oh, yeah. Some days it's just rip-roaring hilarious. That's... It looks glamorous. Yeah. It looks like you get to dress up nice. You know, people, people tend to respect you. Um, reasons not to be because of the pressure of others. You know, there are people that have been pressured into, into, into ministry and even leadership. That's not a good reason or, or, or need for control or to just be in the know. A lot of people just want to be in the inner circle because they just, well, they're just nosy. And, and so they just, they just, and, you, and I'll just tell you this, God's going to break your nosy before he opens that door up. All right. That's reasons not to be in the ministry. Now, let's consider reasons to be in it. Why, why would this? Because God's talked to you about it, and, and there's a call to it, and, 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 and you have an aspiration. There's nothing bad about that. In, in fact, Timothy said, if you've aspired, he uses this phrase, if you've aspired to be a bishop, you've aspired a good thing. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with aspiration. But you know that it's a God aspiration and not a flesh aspiration. Secondly, you have a heart to serve Without ambition, and when I talk about ambition, I'm talking about in the carnal sense. I do believe that there's an appropriate place of godly ambition. We ought to want to improve ourselves. So I don't, I don't think that's necessarily an evil thing. And, of course, there are people around you who may have wisdom that confirm it. They can see that uh, in you as well. All those things sometimes take time. The call is the foundation of ministry and leadership. When Jesus picked the original 12, they were not the most qualified for this particular job that he was calling them to. They were rough. They were fishermen. They were tax collectors. They had a past. Uh, you know, Peter hung around three years with the Lord, and he still didn't have his vocabulary right. He still swore. Um, I mean, these were, these, were, these were diamonds in the rough. But God calls diamonds in the rough. I mean, when I was 18, believe me, I was no prize. I'll be honest with you, I, those first few months of living for the Lord, because I was still playing sports, I was still, you know, I, I love God, I know I'd been transformed, but you'd be amazed at how often, you know, you'll use a golf word or a baseball word, and how easy those things out of habit can come out of your mouth, and you don't even realize you're doing it, it just comes. But do you realize that God's got to circumscribe those things, because he can't put me in a pulpit, and you're preaching away, and you drop the F-bomb. Now, he'll work with you, but that's not optimum. People will look and go, he's a little rough. So those things have to be circumscribed. And, and praise God, he does that. But that's a part of the separation period when God's circumscribing. A call is what God sees in you that you may not even see at the moment and others may not even see. That's what I like about the prophetic ministry, because a lot of times when God begins to speak, he's not speaking to what he sees in your life now. He's speaking to what he sees you could be. And that's always an encouragement. First Corinthians 1, 26 through 29. It's interesting um, there. It, it, it's a familiar passage. It says not many, not many wise are called according to the flesh. Let me read it so I get it quickly. I don't have it. Don't have it memorized here. First Corinthians one twenty six says, For I see, for you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world. That's who we are. Oh my goodness. To put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are so that no flesh should glory in his presence and the greatest mistake I believe in the body of Christ today is the assumption that because one is successful in the marketplace means they will automatically be successful as a leader in the church it doesn't matter 
You, you, you can be a mover and shaker in the markets of the world, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're qualified to bring leadership in the body of Christ. Think about that. All right. God prepares us through the process of separation. A calling is merely accepted. When God calls you, here's what happens. When he starts speaking to you about something, here's what goes on. He talks to you. Maybe you wrestle with it. You think about it. You ponder it. But there comes a moment that, that here's the deal with that. All you do is either accept it or reject it. It entails no level of maturity. God can call you and you can be just a baby in Christ. He can call you and you can be quite mature. It doesn't matter. All it matters is whether or not you'll say yes. That's it. So when you're called, all you did was say yes. That's a good thing, but that's all you did. Separation, however, is directly related to maturity and trustworthiness. See, the scripture tells us in 1 Timothy 1.12 that Paul was separated into the ministry, 1 Timothy 1.12, he was separated uh, through his faithfulness. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. And then what he would do is in his second letter, chapter two, verse two, he said, as I have instructed you, you in turn entrust this to other faithful men. And so just as he was separated through faithfulness, Timothy begins to look at who he's going to uh, work with in leadership, and he finds those that have been separated through faithfulness. You cannot give unfaithful people places of influence. You can't do it. I mean, I mean the, first, the first rule of leadership is you've got to be there. <laughs> if, if, if you can't be there, then you probably aren't going to be a leader for long. You know, you can't give unfaithful people places of influence. It flows down. And what happens is it eventually causes resentment. And you know what I'm talking about because we've all seen people who don't want to function in faithfulness and yet they have a position. And if you don't, this isn't just the local church, folks. I work at, and, and function in a ministerial association. There's a network of pastors that I work with. And the sad part is it's not only in a church with, with everyday, you know, people Christians in a local church, but it works with pastors too. And, 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 and nothing's more frustrating than when someone's got a title or someone's got a position and they don't show up and they're not on time and they're not faithful. You say, they're a pastor. I know. And then when they are there and they begin to share and they talk about their church not being faithful and they can't be on time and they go on, I, I want to get on the call and go, I can give you a hint. But one of the things that God's refined me in is don't say everything that pops into your mind. Just because you think it, it doesn't mean it needs to be said. Some of those things are prayer requests. Not spoken. Okay? I'm helping you. Because everything that pops into your mind does not mean it pops out of your mouth. God will work with you. See, I've never been a proponent of the philosophy, give them a position to keep them happy because, because it sort of sends the wrong message. Now, I do believe that people have to connect and there should be portals, you know, areas where people can connect. I, I don't disagree with that at all. But, but, but you do have to be careful because what you'll do is you will enable or you will reward things that ultimately you don't want. How faithfulness relates to your future in leadership. In Matthew chapter 25, oh yeah, that's a good story. Matthew chapter 25 um, it is the account of the talents, the parable of the talents. And you remember the story that there's, there's a master and he gives the servants of his uh, talents. And, and talents, that, that doesn't mean that he was giving them like, you can play the piano and you can play the violin and I'll give you the talent of being organized. That talents, was, it was money. All right, that's what a talent was. It was money. So he's giving them giving them money five to one, two to another, and one to the last one. He goes on the journey. You know the story. And he comes back, and he begins to deal with how they handled or how faithful they were with what was entrusted to them. Now, I want you to just, just consider a few things out of this story that I think are very important. Number one is to realize that they were under another's authority. So faithfulness means that to even demonstrate it, you have to be under authority. 
You've got to be under authority. I know people that love Jesus and they, they'll run around and go, oh, I serve Jesus. I, I, I'm obedient to Jesus. Well, that's great. But you see, that, that's direct authority. And, and I believe that God can speak to us directly. I sure do. But most of the testing in the area of authority is not about direct authority. Because truth of the matter is, is that we're, 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 we, we think we're snowing God all the time. But the truth of the matter is, we'll find out just how submitted and yielded our hearts are when we get under delegated authority. You see, you get to Romans 13 and you begin to find out whether or not, I mean, I believe everybody in the room, if I were to look at everybody and say, how many of you here would respond to God? If he were to talk to you, you'd respond to God. We'd all go, yes, praise God. He knows my heart, my intentions. Well, hallelujah. Now, what happens if God shows up to you through delegated authority? Well, you see, that's what's happening here. They had to be faithful under authority. Second thing I noticed is that they were nameless servants. Didn't, didn't say they were Tom, Dick, and Harry here. It didn't say that. It didn't give us their names. We don't know who their names are. Do you understand to be faithful means no one may know your name? Let her see. They are not all given the same starting amount. Wow, wouldn't that be something? I, you know, if, if we were standing there today and, and, and whoever the master was and gave them things, and one guy got five, one guy got, what did he get, two? And... Uh, and the other one got one. Can you imagine? I know how it works today in the church. They'd be going, how come you got more than I got? Was he like you more than me? I don't get it. He said, well, I only got one. Well, I don't care about you. I want to know why he got five. I mean, you can hear the whole conversation going on. And the guy that got five said, hey, listen, you know, just the way it, just the way it shook, you know. It, I'm, but I humbly receive it. You know, I, I you know. But listen, it doesn't matter what you get. Faithful isn't about the amount you get or even the amount of, of, of ministry you may get. Do you understand? You can have a great visible ministry or you can have a behind-the-scenes work. And, and the issue isn't really the amount. The issue is are you faithful with it? Because it's worth more to have a faithful custodian than it is to have an unfaithful praise and worship person. It really is. In, in my eyes, I know people, people think, I'm just trying to tell you how I think. And because it's how God thinks. It's interesting that faithful means that what is given to them is not theirs. They steward another person's property. That's what being faithful is. It's, it's somebody else's. And it's interesting that the owner does not affirm the amount they earned, but rather he affirms their faithfulness. He says what? He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. And the point of the parable is this, is that because they were faithful, they were given leadership. When they were faithful, they were given leadership over many things, it says. And that was the point of the parable. Now in Luke 19, there's a very similar one, which I like this as well. I'm not going to go through it because many of the points are exactly the same. But there are a couple things in this one, because I think there are ten servants in this story. And, and the ten servants um, uh, are, are, have a mina, and they all go out, and they are asked to deal with... Um, let, me, let me make sure I get this right. He says, so he called ten of his servants, delivered to them ten minas, and he said, do business till I come. And so everybody got a mina, and they were go to go out and do business with it. And so he comes back and he begins to check out what all took place. Now, here's the interesting point. Everybody did something different with the mina, and there was one, though, who didn't do anything with the mina. But this is the point of the parable that we can glean from it that's a little bit different than the earlier one I mentioned to you, and it's this. And that is the parable teaches us that when God gives you something that looks little, do you still value it? If he gives you something that's not much, will you still value it? Can I tell you one of the biggest mistakes I ever made in my life, honey, and, and, and you'll know this instantly, is when in our early days of being married and we traveled a lot, remember, and we'd speak at churches and there was a lot of affirmation and a lot of that just was, it just groomed me for a lot of bad things. But I remember in the local church, remember, uh, Richard Spindle was the teacher and he asked me to come and make coffee. Now listen, let's listen to me. I hate to tell this story. Because I always want to look good. Don't you? Sure. Who wants to tell on themselves? <laughs> Not me. I just want to tell you all the stories that I took the mountain. Hallelujah. Well, I didn't always take the mountain. 
It's one of those stories I hate to tell because truth of the matter is, I'm, listen to me, I, I, I'm 19 years old, I'm, I'm, I'm going, I'm, I'm in college campuses, I'm holding youth revivals, I am going to churches and filling pulpits, I'm gone a lot of weekends, and, and this Sunday school teacher wants me to come and make coffee. <laughs> I can't believe you'd even ask. I can't believe you'd even ask. Do you not know? Have you not seen? Have you not heard? I hate telling this story. Yeah, and he was a college professor on top of that. And the truth is he had heard, and he did know. And he knew exactly what probably needed to happen at that time. I was just too hard-headed not to know at the time and didn't hear. You say, well, it looks like you turned out okay. Join me on my journey. <laughs> I might have gotten to the right place, but you don't want to know how it happened. What happened is that there was a moment I was given a little thing. What are you going to do with this little thing? Do you understand that sometimes you're offered a little thing and you look at it and you say, it's beneath me. I don't see why I have to do it. I'm smarter than this. I have more to offer than this. I can't use my gifts in this. God's called me to something bigger. I can't, I, it's not visible. It's no one cares. Wait, 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 give me this little thing. Listen, that little thing, Jesus said, when they handled the little thing, it opened the door, it said, to authority over cities. And what people have not got revelation of is the fact that God will give us little things. And if you will be faithful in something that is little, it can be the key that opens the door to a destiny. But, but, but I didn't get that at the time. You see, when we overlook the value of the little thing, we can miss some very important God moments. Doesn't See, God loves to go to sheep fields that no one else wants to watch and pull the one watching the sheep out and say, you be king. God loves that. See, he didn't pick the others. That was beneath them. That, that, that was, they, they weren't going to, let the little guy, let the little guy do it. And God saw the little guy and went and got him. You see, the thing they were fruitful in handling, and this is what's interesting, was not related to the destiny they were to fulfill. He gave them minas. Now listen to this, that's money too. He gave them minas, and how are you going to handle this little bit of money? And, and, and so they handled it for the master. It wasn't theirs, they were stewarding it. And the interesting thing was, is that the destiny they received had nothing to do with the thing that they were entrusted with to be faithful over. That is why you'll often hear me say to the folks that, that go and, and, and participate in nursery and kids' church and, and help clean up and stack chairs and move things, I often say, you, you never know that in that thing God's providing a destiny. And you say, well, how in the world will this nursery or this, this sweeping or this kids' church get me to this CEO position? That's just the way God does it. He gives you a little thing and he says, I'm just going to watch I'm just going to watch. See, because you see, it's not that pastor opens doors that no man can shut. The Bible says it is God who opens doors that no man can shut. Don't you ever think I'm holding you back. Don't you ever think that. It's God that's doing these things. Zechariah 4.10 says that, that we are not to despise the day of small beginnings. All right, now let me go through some just some real quick key concepts of what it means to be faithful. This is what's happening during this separation time period. You've been called, you've been touched, you know you got a promise of God, a purpose of God. You can, you can define it any way you want, but you're looking at your future and you're saying, this is where I know God's taking me. I'm going to help you understand what he's doing between letter A and Z. All right? He's, he's, he's creating a faithful servant. Here are some concepts that are important. Number one. In Luke 16.10, we find consistency. Consistency. It says this. It says, He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also uh, in much. So, so he's saying, if you can be consistent with a little thing, a lesser thing, uh, excuse me, if you, can, if you can handle it well, you'll be given something greater. 
Uh, if, if you can't be, nothing else will happen. So consistency. You've got to be consistent no matter where you're put. It's consistent. We not only start on time. For instance, I'll just, I've learned these things through the years. We not only start on time on Wednesday night. We start on time on Sunday morning. We start on time at connect groups. We just start on time. I'm just on time. My whole life is about on time. Because if I can't be on time to someone else's party, I, I mean, why would, why would God let me start up something great? Are you, are you following me? You say, you say, that's just you, Pastor. That's just you. No, it's you. It's you, too. That's consistency. That's a part of, of, of kingdom purpose. Being on time. Being where you're supposed to be. Respecting other people in their time. I, I mean, if someone's prepared something, if, if you, let, I'm just looking, the Folsom's invite me over for ribs. Now, that's, that's a, I love ribs and I want to go, but I'm going to respect them and not show up 30 minutes late because I want my ribs on time. And it respects them. Be consistent in attendance and the things of the Lord. Consistency. That's a part of being. What does faithful mean? Faithful isn't just, well, my heart's good. Well, okay, I'm glad your heart's good. Now I want to see if you can get up on time. That's great. I'm glad, I'm glad you love God. You love him with all your heart. All right, now we're not talking about your heart. We're talking about your legs. Get moving. Okay, consistency. That's about faithful. Number two is accountability. I can't read all of these. Accountability. Accountability means that, that there's someone that can really look into your life and, and just holds you, holds you to, to what it is that you're committing to. That's accountability. Now, even in the parables that I read to you, uh, and I like using them because the master gives these servants money in both parables, but it's interesting that the master comes back to check on what they've done. So do you understand? They were accountable at a great level as to what was going to happen. In fact, in both these parables, the ones that didn't do anything, they were, they were seized with, with fear, they said. They didn't want to blow it. And, 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 and what happened was is that the master said, you've blown it on this one. You, you, they, were, they were accountable. He checked up on the servants. And I wrote down here that I don't believe there's ever any maturity unless there's accountability. Because here's what happens in people's lives. They, 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 I'm not saying they don't love God. I'm not saying they're not saved. I'm just simply saying that what happens is, is when we fall short, and even when God convicts us, we may even uh, ask forgiveness and, and, and resolve to change. But truth of the matter is, is that we're always, we're always thinking we're cutting deals. We live in a very, very sloppy, agape, just sloppy grace era where everybody just believes God's winking at him and he's saying, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. When God's saying, I need somebody to be there. God's not just merciful and gracious. He is just and he is holy. And I believe we mature. I believe this with all my heart. I mean, I know that God, God has, and he has. I mean, I'm telling you, God can work on me, and I, I want him to be able to work on me. And, and can I just say, it's a great thing when you can get to the place where God can truly work on you without having to send a hundred other people on the earth in the flesh to work on you. But oftentimes, we don't get it that way. So here comes the army to help God. And that's when he gives you a boss. And that's when he gives you a friend. And that's when he gives you a pastor. And that's when he gives you somebody that looks you in the eye and says, anyhow, it's done. And you go, well, I don't know if I like you anymore. Well, okay, I, you know, I, I want you to like me. But at that moment, that's God saying, time to be accountable. And it's time to grow. It's time to grow up. And there's little maturity without accountability. I, I defy you to find me people who are absolutely non, unaccountable in their life. And I, will, I would be almost willing, if I were a betting man, to say to you that they are not very mature spiritually. They avoid it. Oh, yeah, it's them and Jesus. But it's amazing how Jesus just is always winking at them, saying, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. I got to move on. Isn't that good? That's good stuff right there. Faithful. What does faithful mean? Faithful means that there's loyalty. We've already dealt with loyalty, but Luke 16, 12, I'm just moving through this. And if you've not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? So if you're not faithful with somebody else's, God's not going to grant what is yours. Integrity. Integrity. 
A part of being faithful is integrity. Now, integrity means really, uh, in the Hebrew, it means to be whole, or, or really it means not to be duplicitous. It, it, it means you are who you are. It, if, if you see him uh, in public, if you see him in a crowded situation, or if you walk home and you see him there, they're, they're, they're whole, they're, they're who they present themselves to be. And uh, this probably links up to accountability as well, because when the master, when the master gives the money to these servants... And he goes away for a time and he comes back and he says, uh, how have you dealt with what I've given you? How have you, how have you stewarded the money that I've given you? These, these servants didn't go, what money? What money? I didn't, I didn't get any money. See, they, they, they were people of integrity. You always, you, you, integrity is when someone gives you money and you handle it well. That, that's a good indicator of a person's integrity. And that's, that's a part of being faithful. And then uh, we've, we touched on this as well. A part of faithful is authority. Can you work under the authority of another's ministry and vision? I believe that's where we're trained. I, I believe that's the best thing. Um, and, and that was one of the reasons why early in my life, there were so many things that God had to bring me back through a little bit later because I didn't pick up these precepts early in my Christian walk because there were doors that opened and, and, and wonderful opportunity came, and I was so happy to have those opportunities. But my problem was, is that the first thing that happened in my life was, I got to be up front. And what happened was, I thought that was everything there was to know or do in the kingdom. And, and I didn't get those precepts worked into me. And so what does God do? God takes it all away from you, and then he says, now I'm going to teach it to you. You didn't learn it at 18, so now I'm going to teach it to you at 29. Now, now the, the thing was, and praise God, I began to learn it at 20, about, from about 29 to 39. I started to learn these precepts. Now, here's your choice. You, if you aren't going to learn it at 18 and you aren't going to learn it at 29, God will God'll try it at 20, uh, 39 and 49. And some people get to 69. 79. Okay, I wasn't going to say anything. And they're still learning these things. And the question is, is that you're not going to get to circumvent the ways of God. That's a leader. The Bible tells us this, that, that Israel knew the acts of God, but Moses knew his ways. And the difference between being just a part of the herd and, and beginning to mature and stepping out and beginning to, to be Moses or give influence or leadership is that you must begin to understand his ways. His ways. Now, one of the books you're going to be reading, I believe, next trimester. I know one of the connect groups, I think, is already, already doing this. And we give you an option. You can either, you can either read uh, Undercover by John Bevere or you can read Watchman Nee's Spiritual Authority. I think Watchman Nee is a better book, but it's harder to understand. So I, I, I always recommend reading Bevere's book first before you read Watchman Nee's book. But I believe Watchman Nee's a great book to read because he kind of deals with both sides of the authority equation. And we're going to spend a lot of time in second trimester talking about it. Oh, you'll love me, second trimester. But it'll set you free. If you, get, if you get a handle on that, it'll set you free. I'm just telling you, there, there's some cool stuff that it, it, I wish I would have learned my first few years. And I didn't. And uh, God had to work it in me another way. Please, please don't, don't do that. Take it from a guy who learned a few things the hard way. Why don't, why don't you glean off my pain? Isn't that a good deal? Don't you think that's a good deal? Pastor had some pain. Why don't I just learn from his pain? That'll spare me from pain. I hope you do that. I hope you choose to do that. Because, uh, because I had to learn a few things the hard way. I think, honey, probably I could speak for you. Probably there are a few things that were learned the hard way. Wish More than a few. Wish we could have learned it another way. But thank God, you're never too old to learn. And, the, and, and God can restore the years if you choose to walk in his ways. All right. Amen. I did good. It's time to stop. Stand with me, will you? Aren't you glad you're serving the Lord tonight? Amen. Aren't you glad that God's ways are good and right? And they will always lead you to life. Doesn't promise that everything will be smooth, but he does promise you, you will make it. And the greatest affirmation you'll ever hear is, well done. Good and faithful servant. Good and faithful servant. I've often said that that when the day comes and all of us are there 
and, and the rewards are handed out and all the things that take place, I think we're going to be incredibly surprised who's at the front of the line. I, I don't think the people we think are going to be there will be there. And I, some we've never heard of are going to be right up front. Because God's, God's ways of doing things are not the way all the time we've been led to believe. So I, I just pray that you'll let the Holy Spirit kind of talk to you in this. So let's pray. Father, thank you tonight for these moments we've had together. Lord, I, I thank you for these people who are hungry for not just superficial Christianity, but they're hungry for a deeper, mature existence and life with you. And that, Lord, your ways are good and they are right. And, and I pray now that, Holy Spirit, you would begin to take. And, and, and I know there are, are numbers of folks already here that they would say, yep, I, I, I'm, I'm doing that. Praise God. Yep, I understand that. And I, I praise God, Lord, you've worked that in me. But, Lord, if there was anything here, just a, a sentence, a phrase, Holy Spirit, that you can pick up on and use to help lead someone to life. Oh, God, would you do that? Would you, would you, by just direct authority right now, would you, just, would you just illuminate that and say, I'm talking to you about this? Lord, help them right now to say yes and embrace your ways. Lord, I pray right now that, that this people would, would aspire and learn and glean from all the pain. Lord, I believe you put my wife and I through some incredible, challenging, even painful situations in order that we could come to a moment like this and help others avoid a crash. Lord, let it be so. Let it be so. We, we speak success over each one. We speak a great future over each one. Lord, we speak your purposes to be fulfilled over each one. Lord, let it come to pass. May, may knowledge of that bring them great hope, but Lord, may you give them a heart and a spirit that's tenacious and resilient to walk through this separation time. I believe Lord, they will succeed in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. God bless you. I'll see you on the weekend. It's going to be a great Lord's Day. God bless. You're released.